21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Due to the Ernst & Young document, credit and cybersecurity risks are top issues uh, garnering uh, chief risk officers' attention over the next 12 months. Why? Well, yeah, attacks are increasing and we're not stopping them. The spend on, on cybersecurity is, is up well over 150 billion every single year and the number of successful attacks are increasing. So we're doing something wrong, Martin. And I'll tell you this, let me just go out and be controversial from the beginning. We're not trying to stop cyber attacks. Okay, the cybersecurity industry is not trying to stop cyber attacks. Because if we're leading with a detect and respond type of approach, that means we want the incident, the attack to happen, then we're gonna detect what happens, and then we're gonna try to respond. But I've been a penetration tester and I've been the incident responder before. By the time you get the alert or detect my activities, I probably already have stolen your data. So a de detect and respond approach is gonna make a lot of money for that vendor selling you that solution. Not gonna help you in stopping the cyber attack. And so on the hacker side of the things, if you aren't putting preventative controls in place, then that means I'm gonna be more successful. Okay, and it's gonna be easier, you're an easy target, because all you're gonna do is just have an alert go off when I get in, um, but I'm still getting in. So I'll reiterate, Martin, we're not trying to stop attacks. Because we are lazy or because it costs a lot of money? I think it's um, it's a few things. Number one, it isn't because we're, we're lazy, um, fixing things and remediation and, and doing the boring stuff is just that it is boring. So being a penetration tester is cool. It's fun. Let's say, hey, I can hack into your system and in 30 minutes and have access to everything. It's a cool thing. Saying, oh, I can apply these patches onto your system. That's not very cool. So people don't expire to have the job of being you know, the, the patching, the, the installation person or cleaning up. So that's not a cool job historically. We haven't glamorized that. You see all the movies about the hackers, no movies about the people that are doing the, the hard work of making sure that everything is taken care of. So that's another one reason. The other reason is if, if we stopped a lot of these attacks by putting the basics in place, then we don't make as much money, okay? There isn't as a lot of money out there. there. There are whole companies, billion dollar companies out there, Martin, that all they do is respond to incidents. They don't fix anything. They don't, they'll give you recommendations that you got to figure out how to do yourself, but they only respond. So imagine if you had a company that, that only fixes stuff, okay? And you're talking to a guy that has been doing um, incident response for the last 20 plus years, 
um, and I've stopped. I've switched to be on the other side where we only fix it and we were efficient at fixing it. You know, I had to change the game because my clients, my friends are the CISOs or chief risk officers and I wasn't serving them well. I literally was taking money out of their pockets. Why do you believe that leading with love is so important, especially in the cybersecurity industry? That was very interesting for me. You are talking about love in the realm, in the, in the context of cybersecurity with all those messy situations going on. What does it mean love to you? Here's what I did when we were starting this company. Um, you know, Savitar here, I don't, I, that, this is a life thing. And um, I'm curious your opinion. I don't believe in saying, hey, there's a work Corey. And um, this is business Corey, and this is personal Corey, and and you know, you know, family Corey, whatever. Why can't I be that same person all the time? So in my personal life, uh, when I'm interacting with people, I try my best to look through every single situation with a lens of love. Like, how can I help? How can I be helpful? Um, more of a you know, um, Adam Grant, you know, wrote a great great book, you know, Givers versus Takers, right? And which one are you in life? Are you a giver or are you a taker? And so when I say leading with love, that means giving value first, helping first, instead of taking first. So when you apply that to, if that's my personal life um, you know, strategy, then let's apply that to business. So if I'm applying that to business, instead of saying, I'm going to make my money off of the incidents that you have or monitor you where I know you're not going to be able to fix yourself because you don't have the know-how. What if I come in and say, we're going to come in, implement the right security, you know, tools and, and best practices, get you locked down and secure. So you're not that low hanging fruit for that hacker when they're scanning the Internet, and they you know, find you and they compromise you. We're going to actually provide value first, as opposed to um, you know, waiting for something to happen and then making our money. So we make our money off of value. That's what I mean by leading with love in the cybersecurity context. When, when and how did you realize that? <laughs> um, I say I say about about ten years ago. Uh, about ten years ago, I was um, I was working at a company and I, I was running three parts of of the business. I was running the global incident response um, team, uh, doing a bunch of huge huge incidents. I was uh, leading the product deployment team, and I also was leading the penetration testing team. Okay, so, so imagine this, we have come in, we've done their yearly security assessment penetration test, gave them the results, okay, found a bunch of vulnerabilities, hacked in, said here's how you fix yourself so you can't get hacked, okay, then I have a, a separate team that came in and implemented products and said, hey, these are good products, we set them all up, configure them, here you go, you manage it, and walk away, then say a few months later, they have an incident. They call me again and I come back in. And so I literally had, you know, uh, board members, CEOs, you know, executives, C CISOs coming and saying, Corey, why, why the F are we paying you 400 bucks an hour? And you did our assessment and you, you installed our tools, but why do I have to pay you this now? What's going on? This makes no sense. We're spending all this money with you. We still got hacked.
So with this security assessment, the security assessment actually found vulnerabilities. But if you didn't actually fix those vulnerabilities from say a few months ago, then those all can be exploited and a hacker can get in. And then on top of that, the hackers are hacking every single day. They aren't hacking once a year when you do your yearly security assessment. Um, so they're hacking every day. So it's, it's a, it's a you know, flawed mindset to think, hey, we checked the box, we did our security assessment. You know, Even if you did fix it at that point in time, 50 new vulnerabilities come out every single day. So if you have, um, on my average, you know, even if some of those apply to you, there's new vulnerabilities that can be exploited and the hackers are hacking on a continuous basis. So the mindset of, I did this one-time activity makes no sense. Same thing with products. Number one, if your products that you install are not designed to stop you know, the, the hacks, meaning like malware prevention, if it's not configured to prevent the execution of malware. So Martin, if I send you a phishing email, and I look at all your social media and look at where you are in Europe or send you something interesting about, you know, the war that's going on. And I know that maybe something you're in, that you're interested in based on your social media posts, I'm spearfishing you and you click on that, then you download my malware. Now, when that malware gets downloaded onto your computer, if you're using a detect and respond type of a, approach, then it's going to install itself on your computer. Now, you might get an alert sent off somewhere, hey, maybe something malicious, or maybe not. You may not even see it. But at the end of the day, now I have my malware and potentially remote access onto your computer. Game over. I can drop my ransomware tools uh, onto your system. I can pillage through and figure out how much um, you can actually pay me. If, if I look at like your cybersecurity insurance policy, look at your accounts, um, steal data to make sure that I can you know, extort you and say, hey, we've got your confidential data, pay me. That's what ransomware hackers are doing. So um, at the end of the day, detect and respond tools are not gonna stop the attack. You actually have to configure them, have to buy the right tool and then configure it to prevent the execution of that malware. Because I hate to say it, but we just gotta realize the phishing attacks are gonna eventually work. They just gotta work one time, okay? Even if you got like 100 employees and they send, send 100 emails, if one clicks, game over, right? And then they send another 100 the next day, eventually somebody's gonna click on something. And if you don't have ways to prevent it, you're gonna get compromised. So when I say we're not trying to stop these attacks, if we're only detecting and responding and we aren't blocking execution of malware, it's gonna happen. The basics in cybersecurity is you can't secure what you don't know you have. And that is basic IT asset management and, and what's running on systems. So they had an asset sitting internet facing. Again, I didn't work there, but here's, here's the deal. If you don't know you have an asset out there, you can't secure it. So that's the first step in cybersecurity. You know, know your assets and secure them. Okay, so failure number one, if you don't have that as a company in place. Uh, failure number two, what software is running on your assets, okay? If you don't know what software is running on those assets, then you don't know what vulnerabilities those so that software has, okay? <laughs> All right, and then so number three, um, from a vulnerability management program, if you're scanning your external presence um, on a daily basis, then you're gonna see that, hey, new critical vulnerability just came out on this asset that I have that can be exploited I need to patch this and fix it right away. 
But if you're not scanning your external presence um, on, a, on a regular basis, you're not going to see that. Okay. So then the next step is if you don't have a continuous patch management um, program in place where you can easily put an agent onto that system and then you can pre-configure it to patch critical vulnerabilities if it has to be internet facing, then you would have fixed that, that vulnerability. Then number three, next step in that is if you're, um, if you don't have proper malware um, prevention tools on there, not legacy antivirus, but something that actually can stop the execution of malware on that system and in a blocking preventative mode, then you know the, the malware that they try to you know, drop onto that system after they've exploited the vulnerability, you know, can execute and then they can have remote access. And what happened in Equifax is they were able to pillage from the external network all the way through the internal network access you know, the, the uh, confidential data and, and pull it all the way back out, which is a really, really noisy attack. Um, if you're looking at the right things, you would have seen that. So that's, that's a well-known attack scenario, pretty well documented. Uh, you can Google the Equifax hack. It is all that, but I just named all five or six controls. And these are the basic you know, controls that all companies should have that would have stopped that attack. So that's one scenario. I'll give you one more. And this is a ransomware scenario. Um, I personally did this case about, about three years ago. I got a call um, that there was a ransomware incident and it was a small financial company. They had about, um, about five employees or so. And so got on the phone with them, started talking. I realized, wow, this, this incident is, you know, they're, they're actually charging a ransom of $50,000. And that was, you know, really different. You don't see that with a small company like that. Um, normally, it's, you know, you know, less than five thousand bucks. You know, they want to get it to where it's something that they can afford, and they get a quick hit, and then get paid off. So my first, you know, communication to them was, I said, "Hey, I'm pretty sure they have broken into you guys and compromised. They must know that you have at least fifty thousand dollars to set a ransom at that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have set it so high." Um, we're going to do some forensics while we're you know, helping you get back up and going to figure out if they actually hacked in or not, but I'm pretty sure they did. So the point I'm making here, and I'll go through the rest of the story, is that ransomware used to be one piece of, mal of malware that was downloaded onto a system. Ransomware is a hack first now, okay? Meaning they didn't have proper security controls in place. They got compromised. The hackers hacked in, in this particular case, they, they were able to access their systems. We saw this forensically. They saw how much money the company had. And so when they saw how much money they had, they were able to delete backups, delete access to backups, um, and also exfiltrate data. And so when they saw how much money they had, they set it at $50,000 because they knew they could pay it. Okay? And that's what typically happens in a ransomware attack. Because if I get into a system, why would I just say, hey, I'm going to try to get 2,000 bucks out of them, when if I dig a little bit deeper, I could realize I could get 50, okay? And so um, what, what I'm telling everybody is that it's not that you have to not click on the wrong link, is that you actually have to do real good security to actually prevent the, an, an, an attack vector, a hack from happening. Um, and so... We were able to, we had to pay the Bitcoin uh, ransom with, with the hackers. We negotiated them down a little bit, but we ended up paying it. And then they had to reimburse us 
um, because not everybody has a Bitcoin account. Not everybody has negotiated with hackers before. <laughs> okay, so um, you know that's one of the value adds that that I've, I've been able to provide in the past. So that's that's the challenge. So those are the two types of attacks. that gave you two scenarios, but they all go back to you got to do the security basics because in that ransomware attack, they didn't have multi-factor authentication. They didn't know what assets they had facing the internet. They were not scanning and patching. They did not have any endpoint protection that would block the execution of malware tools. So those are just really basic tools that you have in place. And really most companies don't have that. So regarding those security basics, how big company needs to be to use your solution? Yeah, to, to use our solution, um, our, our clients are small to medium size. That's the biggest target. But people don't realize when you think about ransomware, you look at like the, the colonial pipeline hack, and I think that was what, 11 million or something like that. And you think, oh, they're only going after the big companies. The reality of it is we actually don't even know how many um, attacks happen on a daily basis. I've heard numbers anywhere from 250 to 500 on a daily basis because everybody doesn't report it. Okay, so a lot of people, they get hacked, they don't report it to the authorities. Uh, they'll either, you know, rebuild the system manually or pay the ransom or whatever, but they don't report it. So we don't know what that actually looks like. So, so what, what we've done at, at our company is said, we're not gonna chase these large enterprises because they have teams that are supposed to be doing security, all right? So the, the bigger target is the small to medium ones that they don't have a security team. And I know of the mindset here that you should not hire a security team because it's not the most efficient way to actually get secure. The most efficient way to actually get secure is to, to outsource that you know, to, to me or companies like myself at Savitar. So you think of not think of it like this, I outsource our HR. Like I'm not gonna hire an HR department. They're really good companies that know how to do HR, all the laws around it, everything else. So yeah, I pay one set amount, they take care of it. Same thing with finance, one set amount, taking care of it. So that is cheaper, it is more efficient than trying to hire and retain talent. Same thing with cybersecurity. You should be doing that same thing. So we built a subscription model that does all those basics for you. We assess for free. So we're democratizing cybersecurity where people used to charge for assessments. We assess you for free, figure out where your gaps are and recommend do these things to secure yourselves. And so, like I said, understanding what assets you're having and securing them, all that's built into our standard packages, um, vulnerability management, um, you know, threat, the um, multi-factor authentication is critical. I will say this, everything that worked is sold out there, whether it be your Gmail, your banking accounts, whatever it has, it has a configuration for multi-factor authentication. You just have to enable it. I'm encouraging everyone to do that today because here's the point, just think the hackers have your password. That's how I approach it. I have complex passwords, but the hackers have that password because if they're stealing password databases, doesn't matter how complex your password is, they got the whole database. I have done those breaches before for very large companies and they have those databases. And so they have your password. And so that multi-factor is what protects you, especially when there's so many remote um, you know, users now that COVID has happened, there's no firewall, there's no corporate firewall. The only thing that you have is that username and password and that's not enough. 
So, so that's what our company does. We've made it into a subscription to really help and solve the ones that don't have the capability of solving it themselves in a cheaper, more efficient manner. Uh, can you go back to COVID-19 uh, pandemic? Uh, because I, I do not understand why COVID changed the game in cybersecurity. What's the connection? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so think of it like this. Prior to COVID, a lot of companies, they had a headquarters, people were going into a physical building, and that physical building had a internet firewall to protect them and a lot of internet controls to protect them from, from you know, hackers coming directly to them. Now, what's happened is, and I did a great blog uh, about a year ago called The Death of the Firewall. So the firewall has died uh, because you're outside of the firewall. You're working at co-working spaces, at home, outside the park, coffee shops, so on and so forth. So you don't have any protection. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And think of it like this. You, um, if I were at a company and my job was to protect that on the security team, if I just had to protect the, the four walls inside of the, the headquarters, right, that, that's easier. But now I've got the cloud, I have remote systems, and I have my headquarters. The areas that I have to protect and secure has just expanded. And did I get more, more you know, staff? Did I get you know, any more help? No, I'm still the one person, but now I got three areas to protect when I used to have one. What's your solution for, for that new realm? Yeah, so um, the good news is um, with, with all the, the invention of cloud and API, um, we only use cloud and API enabled products. So we don't care where the end computer is. It could be anywhere in the world we can connect to it, put an agent on it and secure it appropriately because everything is cloud manageable. So with that type of model, we don't need a firewall. We don't need a corporate location. You can say, hey, here are you know, 50 employees, regardless of where they are in the world, we get our tools installed, then we can manage them and secure them just like they're inside of a firewall, even though they could be in a hundred places around the world right now. Can I continue working from home and being more secure by using your system? Yep, yep, 100%. So it's usually, for example, you sitting at home, you need a few basic things. Number one, um, IT assets. I need to know what kind of system you have. So I can literally put an agent on your system. Then I'll know, all right, you're running, making up a scenario. You're make, running a MacBook Pro, um, and this is the version. And I'll, I'll be able to see what vulnerabilities exist within it. I'll be able to put a scanning agent on it to check you for vulnerabilities on a continuous basis. They'll report back to me. I'll be able to put a patching agent on it to be able to identify what patches you need. And I would upgrade whatever endpoint protection you're using to one that has the capability for us to actually block the execution of malware. And our team will go through and monitor for a few weeks and then switch you to a preventative mode. So you know, let's just say when you do click on that phishing email, then it doesn't execute, you're protected. And then lastly, we'll make sure that you're using multi-factor authentication across all of your accounts. So that does not require you to go into an office, that doesn't require you to do anything. 
You just subscribe to our solution and then we're going to come in and take care of all those things for you. And team-based versus uh, AI-based, what, what's the ratio? Yeah, so some of our tools actually um, use a little bit of machine learning. But here's the thing. Originally, Martin, I was thinking we were going to have to leverage AI to, to add you know, extra intelligence um, to our tool. But problems that need to be fixed are the same problems we had 20 years ago. They're the basics. These are, this is basic blocking and tackling. And I think one of the challenges within the cybersecurity space and even the tech space is, you know, we're, we're overcorrecting on this whole AI thing, thinking everything needs AI. You don't need every AI for everything. Some of these uh, challenges are really basic and you could, you know, really put too much into it, but we're just doing the basics to take care of customers. So um, there is no, you know, big AI magic that happens. This is the basic people process and technology that I think we really skipped over earlier in, in the early 2000s. We were talking about those as three pillars that everything needs to have. And, you know, we went away from that thinking we can AI automate our way out of it. And, and that's not true. Um, the simplest way to do this is to just jump in and solve the problem with, with the tools that already exist. What's your business model? This is a very specific business model. Um, we are a um, exponential organization. And, and there's a lot of companies that, that use this type of model as a template. So um, the well-known ones are, are like an Airbnb, um, Uber, you know, Netflix. Because think about like uh, um, Uber, right? If I wanted to get from here to the airport to fly out, what if I said, Martin, I'm going to go out and buy a car so I can get to the airport? I'm like, why would you do that? That's not the most efficient way to do it. And I said, well, I'm going to call this expensive car service, you know, to have somebody, you know, personalize and come and take me to the airport. Y'all could do that. They'd be really expensive and it'd probably take a while for that car service to get there. Or I can pull out my phone, press a button, and allow an Uber or Lyft or whatever to come and pick me up into the airport. They'll probably be here in five minutes. I'll be at the airport in 10 minutes, I'm done. So it's about the most efficient way of doing things. And so you look at it from a business model perspective, um, how hard is it to copy, copy what Uber has done? You can build your own platform and, and code up the same kind of things um, that Uber has. But at the end of the day, it's the, the relationships they've already figured out in all the cities around the world, you know, the partnerships, because they had to fight against the taxi industry. They've done all of that. So what we've done in our business model, we've figured out the best of breed, best of class products already. And we've already got the expertise of how to install and configure it and get you there quickly. And so all that hard work has been done. And so, you know, that's a new futuristic business model, but it's what the consumer wants. The consumer doesn't want to have to go through a lot of pain just to get to the outcome. They just want to buy something that's going to get them to the outcome and move forward. Corey in five years, Savatar in five years. Savatar in five years. We, um, one of our taglines is, we're the future of cybersecurity. And so, it, uh, we equate ourselves to, to you think like a Netflix, right? It took them more than five years, but they put Blockbuster out of, out of business with just a better process. They had no content when they first started. 
And what the end consumer wanted was they wanted an outcome of be able to watch movies faster. Like me personally, I didn't want to get in my car and go stand in line and hopefully they have the movie I want and then buy it and have to rush back to avoid late fees. If I could pre-configure this and just get get DVDs you know, sent to my house and then I just watch them at my, my own you know um, time, that'd be perfect, right? So what about in cybersecurity? If I had to go out and say, oh, I want to secure myself, let me go and figure out which one of the 4,000 products I need to buy. And then once I finish doing those evaluations, then I got to go and then, you know, install that product and get it configured and then set it up and then maintain it and watch it every single day. And then go through that process for another five or six other products because you, you need multiple products. It's one thing, you know, doesn't solve it. You need scanning, patching, endpoint protection, multi-factor authentication, security awareness, all of those. You got to go through that process for all of them. So that's going to take you, you know, depending on the size of your organization, you know, several months to do all that. You could do that, or you just subscribe to us. We're bringing best of breed, best of class products to you to actually get value guaranteed within 90 days. Um, so we're going to install, configure, assess you, figure out what needs to be remediated, get that remediation done, and then maintain. And so you'll be on the continuous scanning, patching, remediation, automation with us literally in a matter of weeks. As While you would, if you did in the manual way, you would still be evaluating products and we're done. So that's the value prop. And, and that's where the future is going, because I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to go through the painful legacy process. I would go the more efficient way to get things done. I'm going to challenge the listeners, Martin, here, because we need to affect the world and make it simply a better place. So when we talked earlier in the podcast about leading with love, um, what if more businesses led with love, meaning they didn't care about you know themselves first, they actually wanted to provide value back to the consumer or their customers first, and then they make money off of that. That's what we're seeing in new subscription and SaaS type businesses. You can go in and you can counsel anytime, right? And so if they're not providing value to that, that customer consumer, then they're going to counsel. So the new world needs to be, let's lead with love. Let's provide value first and, and actually help. And then we make our money because ultimately what's going to happen is that you can get more loyalty. Like, like our, our loyalty is off the charts. And our, our net retention is off the charts, but that's because we're providing value. And when they look outside of Savitar, they're looking to see, where can I get that same level of value? They can't find it. So that is game changing. I challenge the rest of the world to lead with love in their businesses. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.